People-first companies understand that employees are their most valuable asset. These forward-thinking companies treat all of their people practices, especially hiring, as strategic rather than administrative functions. I'm Donald Knight, Chief People Officer at Greenhouse, and this is People First, a podcast celebrating the work of leaders dedicated to building people-first cultures. Today, I'm across the pond in London talking with a couple who is passionate about shaping the future of work. I'm joined by Natasha Rainey, founder of All Inclusive Media and host of the All Inclusive Podcast, and Chris Rainey, CEO and co-founder at HR Leaders. We talk about leading through authenticity and empathy, how to build trust with your employees, and how leaders can lead by example when it comes to vulnerability. Please welcome Natasha Rainey and Chris Rainey. OMG, I'm super happy to be here, right here in London, United Kingdom. Thank you for having me to our gracious host, House of Rainy. House of Rainy. Yeah, this is super exciting, man. But for the people, like, we got two amazing influencers here, right? We have all-inclusive HR leaders. A lot of people, they want to know more about you. So please introduce yourself. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Natasha Rainey, and I'm the founder of All Inclusive Media and the host of the All Inclusive podcast with Natasha Rainey, which is a podcast that's focused on diversity, equity and inclusion and just bringing leaders together to talk about such an important topic. I'm uh, the husband of this amazing woman. Oh, whatever. <laughs> there <Yeah>. we go. Natasha <laughs> was way too formal. Let me give you the backstory. So we met breakdancing. Woo. So, you know, I was like... Went to a dance class. I was like 16 years old. I was like, let me just... And Natasha was one of the students. And um, I became a teacher in the class and Natasha was one of the students. So we kind of knew each other for a long, long time. You know, since we were 17. We've been together since we were 17. Wow. And 35 years later... Yeah. Uh, we, no, not that, I mean, that, that, not that old. I'm 35 now, so we've been together a long time. But the reason I tell you that story is that everything we've achieved, we've achieved together. Mm. You know, I would never be able to be where I am without this woman. You know, when, I, when I said I'm going to quit my job and start HR Leaders because I really want to help shape the future of work and how that impacts society, everyone said no but her. Wow. She was like, go do it. If you don't do it now, you're going to regret it. We were like, what, four months before our wedding? Four months before our wedding. Four months before had our no wedding. money left because you spent all the money on the wedding. <laughs> we just bought a house. Yeah, no. Had enough, literally had no money. <laughs> And we did it because if we didn't do it, then we never would have done it. I just no, want to bring yeah. that point up because I've been doing HR Leaders podcast for what six years now, and Tasha's been doing her, her podcast for about a year. But it doesn't work one without the other. Yeah, Tasha, I have to ask. I didn't know we were going to go down this path, but this is good. I love when this happens. What made you say yes? Because I mean, <laughs> you just got married. No, legit, right? Yeah. You, you just got married. Yeah, that's a good. I'm point. sure you have envisioned what your family could or potentially look like. And this guy says he wants to leave his full-time job or considering leave, leaving his full-time job to go chase this passion of HR leaders. Like what, what convinced you to say, I'm all in, I'm going to be a cheerleader for him? Um, I knew he was going to smash it. Like I knew he was passionate about it. He was so, I could see him. I saw both sides. So I saw the side of what makes him amazing at what he does in terms of the sales talking to people, making those connections, that I could see. So I knew if he started the podcast on that topic for HR, it was going to do good. But on the other side of that, it was also the fact that 
him owning his own business, him being an entrepreneur, that was something that I also could see that he could thrive in because working for someone else, I could see just wasn't really working for him. He wasn't happy. And as a partner, I want to be a partner. Oh, I want to be seen as a partner to help uplift. I would never want to crush somebody's dreams. And if it means that I just need to make a few sacrifices or some adjustments, that's fine. I don't mind being flexible because my time will come. And that's how I see it. And literally that's where we're at now. I'm now able to start my podcast and do something that I'm passionate about. And Chris is completely all for it. We've got a four-year-old daughter. He could very easily just be like, no, I don't think we can do this because I've got too many other responsibilities. He was actually encouraging me to start. He wanted me to start ages ago. (laughs) And I was just like, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't. So we have that great dynamic and and I'm so I'm so lucky to have him and we're we're such a great team and I'm so excited for all the things that we've got coming up um because it's just going to be amazing. That's so interesting to hear. Um I think so often people can find themselves in spaces particularly at work where they don't have leaders like you. There's something you said you said you want to uplift others. Mm-hmm. And when we think about this whole concept of being people first, mm-hmm. I think so many people may not understand exactly. what that may mean for them. Mm. Like Chris, when you think about your better half just says she wanted to make sure she uplifts others. That's, mm-hmm. that's, empo- that's super pa- empowering. Yeah. How do you think that fits into people first or how do you even define it's people like, first? It's and obviously I knew this was what we were talking about today. That's actually was the number one thing I was going to say. The first thing, because you know, for a long time I was an individual contributor in the business. I would grow up in sales. When I became a leader, I realized that my job now is to uplift and give all of my employees different tools that they need to succeed. Even if that means succeeding me. Mm. And that's some, that took a long time for me to my ego to get out of the way. If I'm, I'm being honest. So I remember me promoting my team into positions and then getting promoted even further than me. And for a while I was like, oh, but, you know, I don't know how I feel about this. And then I realized that's actually, that's why I'm here. And the same thing we do is in our relationship. My job is to uplift Natasha and vice versa. And, we, and together we, we move. There's no jealousy that, oh, you're doing X and Y. Because I couldn't do what I do unless, without doing what she does at home with Robin. And vice versa. I think secondly is really knowing your people. I mean, like truly knowing your people. So, for example, when I, when I was, um, for, again, became a manager, I had no idea. I was just throw, like most managers or leaders, you're just thrown into the role. Like, oh, you're great at sales. You're going to be a great manager. No, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So what I did, it wasn't out of a book. I created this huge whiteboard and I said, okay, I want you to put all of your dreams, your values, your things you want to buy on this board. And we actually cut everything out. We had like, you know, someone was like, what I'm excited about is buying a house. So I was like, put a picture of that house. And we created a strategy about how we're going to get there. Whatever it was, I could tell you of all of my 50 employees what every single one of them wanted and where they were going. And then in our conversations and our one-on-ones, it was about how are we going to get there? So truly, not just knowing their name, we got to truly get to know them and see their kids running around and see the highs and the lows. And, uh, and, um, and that kind of led to another thing, which is leading with empathy. To be a people first leader, you have to lead, lead with empathy. Genuinely care, ask questions, be curious. As well, but also share, be vulnerable yourself. Something that I've done with my struggle with anxiety and struggling with depression is share that with my team. And it's allowed them to go, oh, wow, you, Chris, of all people, you know, they don't they see the energy, they see the Chris on the podcast, they don't realize there's a struggle behind that. But by sharing that as a leader, 
it kind of opened that safe space and that psychological safety for them to be themselves and actually truly show up. Yeah, that the curiosity and empathy and vulnerability piece is something so many times leaders of the past were not encouraged to well, do. See, no, yeah. It was right? the opposite. Yeah. I actually got told, sorry to cut you off, by my, my boss at the time, you're not their friend. Why are you going to lunch with them, Chris? Why are you going to gym with them? Why are you doing these activities? We, we did a thing where once a month, everyone bought lunch from their native background. So you got to taste different cultures. Taste and, the diversity. And, have a like and it, it opens up. Yeah, t- literally taste diversity. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I was told off by that. To your point, you don't do this. You know, you're, you're their manager. You know, you're supposed to lead. I was like, Ooh. you're telling me not to be, care about the people I spend most of my life with? Really? 90,000 hours. The average person works 90,000 hours oh, God. before they retire. So you're right. It equals a third of your life. Yeah. The other, another third is sleep. And then typically we have another third to figure out what we want to do with. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Tasha, like all inclusive, definitely a conversation so many workplaces are struggling with right now, trying to figure out what is that going to look like for them, for companies that have a geographical footprint that's outside of just one country, they have a whole nother challenge of inclusion in this location may be very different from inclusion in that location. How does a people first lens even apply to inclusion from your perspective? I think it's so important to go outside your immediate role and the immediate scope of where you're at and really look at what the day-to-day experiences are of your frontline staff or of your individual team members where they're at in that particular kind of demographic or, or, or location in the world. Because if you can start and get it right locally, then you can use those tools and spread across to all different planes around the world. Whilst there's a lot we talk about with all kind of being inclusive and we've got to do this and these strategies and these programs and these initiatives and there's so much, how do we fit it in? How do we get it all right? It's just trying something at least and seeing how it plays out and making sure that your employees feel comfortable, they feel valued, they feel supported. Those are three things that you could do no matter where you're placed in the world, no matter where I come from, no matter what our kind of political sides are or anything. Like you can easily create some initiatives and programs to help that somebody feel like they are comfortable to come into work. They're not anxious about being judged on who they are if they want to get support from other leaders it's open and available to them those are things that i think we can easily put in place and organizations can do no matter where they sit that so resonates with me because what you're saying is regardless of culture and locations these are just best practices for leaders of people anyway and you know at greenhouse when i got here we focused on de and i and like within my first 90 days, I changed that. I was like, oh no, like we're not going to focus on DEI anymore. And the, literally the first thing someone told me was, hold on, you're a black man and you don't want to focus on DEI? And I was like, oh no, like inclusion's an output. Mm-hmm. When diversity, equity, and allyship are present. And I think everything you just said empowers leaders to figure out how am I an ally for other people? Now, the one thing I'll leave people with is like allyship is... The root word of allyship is not ally. It's all. And when you think about putting people first, you got to figure out how to put all people first. The the tidbits you just shared, Tasha, to me are important because what you're saying is regardless of where you land on the planet, these are great behaviors and practices 
on how you put all people first. You started your company a couple years back, Mm -hmm. clearly a supportive, better half in that regard. And Tasha, how are you putting people first at HR Leaders? You're asking how am I an ally to my team? Yeah. How are, how are you being an ally for your team? You don't employ all people that look just like you. Mm. Well, I do. Mostly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, when we first started, and I'll be, again, very, very open and honest, I fell into that trap when I first started of hiring my friends. Mm. I'll be very open and honest right now. And they were white males. And, you know, and there were people I worked with. I didn't even see it. Yeah. I didn't even see it. Tasha mentioned it to me. She made a joke to me. You know, at some point, you're going to have to come outside. Oh, I was your- like, you're going to have to bring some diversity. <laughs> you need some color um, up in here. I could not be the only person that's popping my head in. Yeah. <laughs> but within the team, we definitely have a diversity of thought there. And we do also have a diverse team now um, uh, as well. But one of the ways I do that is making sure that everyone's voice feels heard. So I'll give you an example. I just hired someone recently, a junior member of staff, kind of one of his first corporate gigs. And we had a meeting. And um, one of the new other new members said to me, hey, Chris, I think your uh, strategy, it doesn't make sense. And this is why. And this is what I think I knew about. And he was like, oh, my God. I just told the CEO that he's completely wrong. And he pulled me to one side after. And he was like, I can't believe you let him say that to you. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you're the CEO, Chris. And he's told you you're wrong. And you agreed with him. And we're now doing that. And he was like, shocked. I was like, that's my job. Do I hire people like you? And he's like, what do you mean? Like, I don't have all the answers. <laughs> my job is to get out of the way. And, and so I think that's a good example of culturally saying he's been at companies where you'd never talk to the CEO like that. You'd never talk. I was like, no, like, don't get me wrong. It doesn't feel great sometimes when my team says, actually, we disagree with you. But if everyone feels that that's the direction we should go in, and I've hired you for your experience, I'm going to support you, even when I disagree. Yeah. Even when I disagree, I don't want to rob them of the opportunity of exploring it and figuring, actually, maybe this is wrong. But most of the time, they're right. So I think that's in terms of how I'm an ally. I'm allied to support them in in their role. Get out of the way. That's my job. And support them with whether, and and in three ways. One, creating a culture. Two, through technology. And three, through the physical space. Yeah. I think if you get those three environments right, that's going to create a great employee experience. I try and keep it simple. When you think about employee experience and how that shapes, I'm like, stick to those three things. If I can focus on those three things, I'm probably getting most of it right. No, I totally align with you. I think to your point that the new person to your team thought, whoa, this can't happen. Someone tell the CEO, <laughs> yeah. no. Man, there's people out there with so many scars based mm. on where they've worked before. So my last job before I started this, I went into the CEO's office. Funny, I didn't even think about this. And said, hey, I want to give you some feedback. No one's happy. And I just want I, I, you deserve to know that. And everyone's too scared. He, he's very, like, more of like very sort of managing with an iron fist type leadership. And yeah. I was like, but I need to tell you this because if you don't know, you're making decisions you don't realize. And then about two months later, he, he, he pushed me out of the business. Set performance targets kept increasing, 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 increasing. So I literally physically couldn't do that many sales. Yeah. It was almost impossible. I was like, okay, I see where this is going. If that's really, and then he, the funny thing is, two years later, he, he called me to apologize. He said, I'm sorry. So I get why that person was shocked mm. because I got fired and I was the highest set uh, earner for that business. I was generating millions of, of, of pounds for that company a year, but his ego 
couldn't take it. And everyone was like, what the hell is going on? And I was like, do that, guys. And I started this company. So that's where <laughs> I wanted to go. It's like, people have scars from those environments. Yeah. Oftentimes, those experiences end up redirecting people where they're literally walking in their purpose now, right? Yeah. You're walking in your purpose, which is amazing. Tasha, like, I'm curious, what words of encouragement would you give to leaders that have those scars? I would say use them as fuel for good. Mm -hmm. Know that you're not alone and the experiences that you've had unfortunately have been shared with others but you know what there are so many I included that are working hard to change that and you can be a part of that um reach out there's there's so many resources out there available there's you amazingly Donald amazingly there's people like you out there that are doing such great work that like tapping into those sorts of leaders and reaching out and networking and building a community for yourself to uplift is really, I think it's going to be the way forward and can get you out of that rut that you're feeling. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that, by the way. She's like, yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, is, for me, it taught me how not to lead. Mm, mm. Yeah. I literally was Say like... Say that again so they hear you in the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. How not to lead. So like my whole leadership strategy was purely based around having really bad managers and being like, and so when I finally became a leader, I was like, I never want to be like that. You know, I never want to steal someone's funder, how you hire and fire people, how you let people go, right? Doing it in a nice way, in a kind way, helping support them after, not just see you later, goodbye. Thank you for your two years. Goodbye. Yeah. You know, and that's actually led to the fact that 90% of my team, I hired in previous companies and they followed me here on, on the journey. Oh, wow. Even when we, it was just me in my bedroom with Shane, just, just working on the business, they trusted us enough, which even I'm like, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> like, I don't even know if I would have trusted us enough to leave their job, secure job, and come with us on this crazy journey. But you had already displayed qualities of a people first leader without you even knowing it at that time. Yeah, I didn't know that's, that. that. That's the power of putting people first. Yeah, they go above and, and actually, beyond. Yeah. Way above and beyond. Yeah. More than I'd ever. Sometimes I'm like, go home. <laughs> like James, shout out to you. He's here now. He's to the point where I'm like, you need to leave. Like, go home and take care of yourself. <laughs> like, like I know you love it, and I know you really want to help the business, but there's also a balance there too. Yeah. Well, so all right, this is great. Let's go there. Companies are sitting on people's potential right now. Mm. They're not tapping into people's discretionary effort, no, because they're not people first leaders. Mm. And so, thusly, whatever business result they think they're yielding right now. They could be yielding way more profit, way more impact yep. if you're actually unlocking people's potential. But when you stifle their growth and you don't put people first, they're not giving you discretionary effort. So mm -hmm. the fact that you two recognize what that looks like in your organizations, I'm excited to come back a year from now, come back to London and see what does all-inclusive look like? What does HR leaders look like? Because those people will continue to follow you mm. and give you their discretionary And they effort. lead like that themselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when you bring someone in, I'm always surprised at the way that that kind of just ripples down to the next layer. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wow, like they're actually treating the same way. Again, in it, the same, same way you had the bad managers just would learn from another bad manager. It was yeah. the other way around too. 
and uh, you know, if someone's struggling, it's not that everyone else goes in and helps pick them up. To be but it's able probably to... because you, as a team member, if I know, I can see what their goals are. If, oh, that's if true. All, they can see each other's yeah, goals. They can see everyone. We shared that everyone too, Donald. Share. So everyone oh, knew that, Everyone knew that. Oh, AJ's like ten k away from buying his house. Yeah. Like you know, that's exciting. That is exciting. For the team to be like, wow, and we go celebrate, and we we go to each other's weddings, and we have fun. Like um, one of my team members. He didn't have any family here, so he spent Christmas at our house. I know that's extreme. I'm not saying anyone used to do that, but I was like, he's going to be alone on Christmas. I don't want anyone to be alone. Come, come to my house. That was a bit extreme, but it was fun. You spend, you spend the Christmas at my house. Yeah. As it's, well. it's, but it's less about the action of him coming to your house and more to do with the intention. You saw him. You yeah. value him. And so because you see and value him, you didn't want him to spend a holiday season feeling like he was in this place of seclusion yeah. or, or an island by himself. That intention is what makes the action worth it. Because mm -hmm. said differently, if we don't want leaders just to go say, oh, let me start inviting people to my house for holidays. If your intention is not pure and genuine, that invitation will fall flat. Mm -hmm. it's, it's and it's effect. active listening as well. Like it's, you want to ask the open questions and yeah. like get everyone to, but actually listen to the responses. Okay. Because there's a lot of times where I feel that leaders listen to conversations like this and they're like okay right yeah all right I'll be a bit more friendly I'll I'll get everyone to like share more but you need to actually listen to what they're saying and then put meaningful action to it and provide them with the extra support and and guidance that they need like Chris said like if he hadn't asked his his team member oh what are you doing over Christmas and actually listen to what they said and been like oh like I'm just gonna be home oh, okay like have you got family coming no but if you're actually understanding, so he doesn't have family coming, he's going to be in Christmas on alone in his flat. Okay, well, I know I've got a free space. Like, I'm happy to have them. Would you like to come? Like, it's that sort mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. Whereas some people just don't, don't actually listen. Uh, have you noticed that every single thing that we're talking about doesn't cost any money? <laughs> I just want to put that out there. For say real. That, say that louder. It? it doesn't cost any money. <laughs> so I just, so I just, you know, random thought, like, it doesn't cost any money. All effort. And in terms of unlocking that performance that you're all about, there's so many people, you know, like there's another guy you who's know, reminding me of stories that had gone through like seven teams, sales teams, and he just wasn't performing. And he just, and they just like, all right. And I, I sat down with the HR director and I like, look, we're thinking about getting rid of this guy, but our team was like the team that can sort of transform some people. For some reason they came on our team and we could turn them around a little bit. Right. Yeah. I was like, I'm pretty busy right now. You know, he's gone through seven teams. Maybe there's a, a sign here. But then I looked at his performance indicators. This guy was doing four or five times more hours on the phone. I was like, how is this guy not doing any deals, right? I sat down with him. He was like, all right, so you're going to ask me about myself. I was like, no, no, no. How are you? He was like, what do you mean, how am I? No one had actually sat down and said, how are you? Because you're doing all these numbers look amazing. And you're not getting any deals. But I don't care about that for a second. Just forget about that. How are you doing? And he was like, it was like shocked that someone even asked him how he was. And what we found out was, or I found out was that he had came from Israel with his, with his wife, uh, his girlfriend, sorry. And she had got nervous when got and just went home. So he was on his own. And he was really down because he decided his partner, like, they had this dream to go to the UK and set up life. And she just left. So I was like, okay. And what I realized was it knocked his confidence so bad that at the end of every sales pitch, he didn't have the confidence for, uh, to ask for the deal. To make the ask. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. So I was like, and so I was like, okay, cool. Because you've done the hard part. You're doing the dials. You're doing the work. You know the script. He doesn't deliver in it with energy and asking for the deal. So I was like, listen, promise me this. 
And I, we had two phones connected to each phone, so I could second voice him. But back is back in the day where I could actually feed him the lines, right? Yeah. So we did that for the first few days. Started banging in deals, 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 deals. He became the most successful salesperson globally in my last company. Wow. We called him Rambo. <laughs> that, was his nick- <laughs> that was his nickname because he, just, he was just, he stood up all day. He refused to sit down unless he got a deal. He was just, and he was ex-military, Israeli military. And he just was an absolute one of those things where if I didn't take the opportunity to start asking him, how are you? How are you doing? And just have a conversation with him. And again, this was no like, this is no patting myself on the back. This wasn't like this leadership technique I did. I just, it just felt like a human being just to be like, how are you as well? And uh, he actually left probably nine months later, set up his own company and mm. became multi-millionaire and actually became one of our competitors. Crazy. They was about to let this guy go. One day he came over to me with a pile of paper this thick. And I was like, what's that? He was like, it's a book of how to become a, a millionaire. And this guy printed this off and then quit. And I was like, <laughs> Dude, that, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that's crazy. That's amazing. I just did a allyship training and I always ask people this question. So I'll give this one free to the listeners, which is I always ask people, who was your favorite teacher in grade school? And everybody automatically remembers know, who that is. Miss Treadwell. See? Miss who? Miss <laughs> Treadwell. Miss Treadwell. How about you? Tasha, who you got? Um, it's Mr. Robinson. Okay. Why are they your favorite teachers in school? For me, it was actually because he was a science teacher. And he was the first teacher. He was, um, I was really good at science and I like actually really liked it. And he was like the first teacher that I felt like I was seen. Like he, I felt like he really was invested in my, my growth and in my learning. And I went to a school that was predominantly white. It was um, private school. So there was a lot of instances where I didn't feel seen and yeah. I didn't feel in, in, empowered that or like my teachers didn't think that I would be successful. But yeah, that's the reason why he's my favorite teacher. The way you just described your teacher is the same way most people do when they remember their favorite teacher. Mm. They take the time. Yeah. They take the time. And then you, you feel seen, you feel valued, mm. you feel heard. And then it's easier for you to perform because it's like, OMG, like you've created this environment for me to be successful. That's what you did for that young man. He was in an environment where he couldn't be successful because his confidence had been knocked. But mm. because you simply took the time, now you've changed that man's trajectory. Crazy how you remember the names, right? I can't, I can't remember the names of any other teacher. And you yeah, wake up thinking about them. This was not in the show notes or anything, right? No. Like, <laughs> it always happens that way. Yeah. I want to ask one more question. We're in London. Mm. Thank you for being gracious host here at your studio. But we're in London. And it's not lost on me that... Inclusion here is very different than other locations. Yeah. It's one of the most populated cities in the world. It has been the beacon of history. A lot of things that started in humanity actually started here. Mm-hmm. Or major pivots in history have happened here. And so I can say this openly. You are my favorite couple in London. Y'all know that. <laughs> but I also recognize there was another couple that looks very similar to y'all. <laughs> That is not here in London and both Harry and Meghan. (laughs) And I recognize so many business leaders right now are afraid to talk about anything social issue related because they don't want to blur the lines. Has any social issues in the past influenced the way that you two have navigated living as a biracial couple here in London? George Floyd, 
Yeah. You called, that me, was up, the main you called one. me out on that one, I think. Yeah, I think that was the main one. I think um, Chris, he grew up in, in East London, so it was quite a diverse community. I was, East uh, London. There, was two, there was two white kids in my class. Yeah, so <laughs> he was surrounded by a lot of, of black people. Yeah. He knew the culture. So he, to him, a lot of the things, us getting together and him coming over to like family dinners and going to my nans with me and all that sort of stuff. He, he wasn't surprised by so he was quite he, he fitted in quite well it's outside of that like you said that mm. going into society as a biracial couple there were a few instances but the death of, of George Floyd was was a major one where I think for me was the first time that I really spoke up and kind of said to him like you need to do something yeah. you need to say something for HR leaders the platform that he has it's important not only for me, for him and for our daughter. And that's one of the main things that I said to him. I was like, I know you, I know you're upset. I know you are an ally for us. So tell everyone that, share that with them mm. because it's important. And he was like, oh, I don't know. He, he literally, for a lot of people, and I think that was a lot of people's yeah. problem as well, was that they, they cared and they were allies, but they didn't know what to say. Yeah. And they didn't want to say the wrong thing. And I said to him, I was like, it doesn't matter. You saying something means everything. And he did. And I'm yeah. so proud of him that he did. I think that's an important moment in our relationship as well. But that's what you need to partner. You can tell you the hard, you can have the hard conversations. Yeah. It's so important that you have someone who could say that to you. And I, I had probably thought about doing that video 20 times. I was like, I wrote it out, deleted it, wrote it out, deleted it, did a video, deleted it. And I was like, oh, I really don't want to say the wrong thing. We've got such a big audience. It's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are going to hear this message. What if I say something? Do I offend people or I come across the wrong way? So I end up doing what most people do and saying nothing, which is the worst thing you could do. And we, we literally was having dinner one night. I was like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm very disappointed in you that you didn't do that. And that hit hard. Like, you know, I was like, wow, like she's right. And then literally the next day, I kind of just didn't think. I just held my phone up and just hit record. Didn't even look at it after. Just post. And it was the opposite of everything. All of those fears I had, it was opposite. It was more support. It was, that's something that's rippled into our, into our, the way we build programs at HR Leaders. So if you look at our conferences, our events, our podcasts, it's super diverse because we make a conscious effort to make sure that we do that. We have a diversity of thoughts of whether it's the religions or no color, whatever it may be, we make sure we are really intentional about that. We somehow we hold ourselves because when we first started getting into the events industry, it was just all white males and then some white females. That's all you saw. I've been called out on LinkedIn before where some people have actually messaged me and DM'd me and be like, hey, why is that program only got white males on? And I'm like, you're right. So it's, it's important that we have those conversations. I know it's tough and it's not going to feel good during the time, but the progress on the other side, amazing. Yeah, growth rarely feels good. In <laughs> yeah. The yeah, yeah. Right. You got to seek discomfort. Some of the yeah. things that we talk about all the time in the company, seek discomfort. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your space. Thank you for sharing your voice. We continue to need more and more people first leaders in businesses that other people can look to. And when I think about my son, Dalen, or I think about your daughter, Robin, and what kind of leaders I want them to be able to have as influencers, mentors, sponsors in their career, I personally find it encouraging to know that there's folks across the pond, if you will, 
here in London that are also aligned to being people first. So on behalf of Greenhouse and on behalf of myself, I just want to say thank you. And I can't wait for listeners to hear this. This is going to be amazing. Oh, thank you so much, John, for coming. Um, It's been a great conversation. Yeah, thanks for hijacking my studio. <laughs> for those of you listening, this is the first episode ever recorded in a new studio. And Let's go. And it's an honor, honestly. The fact no, yeah, it's an honor, honor. To, 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 for you to be here. And I love all of the work that you guys are doing. Obviously, we're partnering with, Gre- with Greenhouse as well. And I'm really excited uh, on the work that we're going to be doing. And, and all about the UG, man. You're, like, you're nonstop all over the world. I don't know how you do it, but it just shows that you know, when, you, when you really, truly love what you do and you're passionate about it, doesn't feel like work, right? Exactly. And I want that for everyone. I want everyone at work to feel like that. One of my goals. It's a big goal. So if you're listening, wherever you're listening right now, like, comment, subscribe, follow the podcast on your favorite platform. I'm going to do that plug for Donald um, as well. And make sure you share this. I think share this with other people first leaders or even leaders that you feel need to hear it. You know, make sure you do that. Whatever platform you're on now, just click share, tag them in and make sure you share this because... The words that were shared here today can impact millions of people's lives. There we go. Mic drop. Boom. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye. (laughs) See ya. Thank you so much, Natasha and Chris, for joining me today. And thank you to all of our listeners. Please take a moment to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. And if you really like what you heard, give the show a follow and share it with a friend. We'd really appreciate it. Special thanks to our production partner, Wonder Media Network. Our producer is Brittany Martinez. Our supporting producer is Sarah Schleed. And our production assistant is Lila Watts. Our greenhouse producer is Marnie Williams. And remember, keep putting people first.